Welcome to True Story. My uh, name is Mike Doty. My name is Dave Holmes. It feels so nice to be doing this again. Yeah, it sure, it sure does. I mean, in it many really senses. Does. It really feels does. nice to be doing this podcast with you. Yeah. It feels nice to be reliving those halcyon days of the 1990s. Those Hal C.C. Peniston days. <laughs> uh, of That's your... very good. That's Thank very, you. very good. Um, I would love to keep doing this. And as a matter of fact, folks, we might just have an announcement at the end of this episode. As to yeah, how about such how a this thing could... might happen. Yeah, such a thing might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, before we, we dive in, um, I do want to say uh, Mike Doty is going to be the musical guest on uh, Scott Gipples and my uh, uh, variety game show sketch thing, The Friday 40, which we've been doing out in L.A. for a long time. You don't have to come to L.A. to see it. It'll be streaming uh, via Dynasty Typewriter. Our contestants will include Nick Vile of The Bachelor franchise, certainly someone who is a beneficiary of the original cast of, uh, of The Real World. We would not know a Nick Vile if not for a Norman. Well, Surely not. That he's not. Gay, but like, if not for a, you know, first season cast, uh, it is Friday, April 23rd, I believe, 9 p.m. East, 6 p.m. West. Yep. It's going to be loads of fun. Um, and as my friend Claire often says, the Internet is the new Paris in the 20s. That's absolutely right on the money. Isn't that great? Yeah. yeah That's yeah, yeah. right on the goddamn money. Um, well, Mike, how... How did you feel about our final episode? Well, uh, I had uh, the the best moment for me <laughs> was when they did the recap and they played the Gin Blossoms. Yeah. I same. thought to myself, I've never been so happy to hear the Gin Blossoms. I don't think same. I was ever happy to hear the Gin Blossoms back in the day, uh, oh. but when, yeah, I, I, you know, when they they hook a good placement of a 90s tune in this homecoming series it just it just fills me with I, with joy yeah yeah that i mean when they nail it they nail it it's undeniable yeah. i i do love gin blossoms and i do love that song and i was delighted to hear it um it's it's a bittersweet one for me because uh that was all, like november-ish 1993 when that song came out Right. Oh, and and I know that because I at the time had like my first boyfriend. I was in college and I had my first boyfriend, <laughs> and uh, and we were like we were together in every waking moment. And then uh, and then it was Thanksgiving break, and I went and met my parents at my grandfather's place in Florida, and and I hated being away from him because we were, it was you know that stage of young oh, love. Oh gosh! And I called him from the airport, uh, no fewer than. 24 times ah, yes. um and uh and that song was like it was it was big on all my mixtapes at the time now there was nothing i did not find out anything about him there's just something about the tone <laughs> of that song that uh that really suited the moment and uh yeah and then he you know broke up with me shortly thereafter because i was right. extremely clingy and even at a young age he was like this is not healthy for me so i'm going to get out of it we're and then you went around singing, find out about his oh, Bob. Because <laughs> I don't know what the second part stop. of any of the phrases. I heard about culottes and bayonets. <laughs> find out about you. Yeah, I don't know the words either. But uh, but yeah, and boy, did we find out about the original seven castmates in Real World Homecoming. We did. I mean, we 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 got to a deeper level. We got to a surreal level on a on a number of levels. I so yes. I have to say, um, my favorite mockable part of this episode is um, when they they bring the producers in. Yes, uh, you know, which is like this joyous reunion. You know, which is you know you never think about, but they're the producers are like their real friends. They hang out yes. with them. All day, every day. So it's this great yeah. moment. And the producers say that they were courageous. And I love this television program so much, but I certainly would not call them courageous. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I suppose the case could be made in that they signed up for something that they didn't know what it was. And they, and they put their lives in these people's in these right. producers' hands, which 
even at the time, like even if the, if that had gone bad, that is not a thing that the human mind could conceptualize yet. You know, um, right. So yeah, so it was kind of just like, hey, we're late teens, early twenties. Let's go be on TV. Yeah, that doesn't feel like too courageous a choice. That you know, feels like Norman let's go have fun. arguably courageous. Yeah. Andre not courageous. I don't know about courageous. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> can we can we sidebar about Norman for a moment, please? We definitely can. Okay, I've got I've gotten a heaping helping of Norman Corpy this week because oh. I interviewed him for uh, for Esquire.com, which that just went up today, Thursday, April. Seventh, eighth, eighth, um, and then also we had him on Homophilia, my uh, my LGBT podcast that I do sure. with my friend Matt McConkey. Um, so he was on that yesterday. It'll drop tomorrow, Friday. Um, he, uh, if you if you have like a f- if your fetish is <laughs> trying is like is is me. And and Matt McConkey trying to get a word in edgewise, you're gonna get you're gonna come like crazy in really? this episode of Homophilia. Yeah, you are gonna you are you're you're sprung for months to come. It, Norman's uh, got a lot he, to say. Norman's got a lot to say. Yeah, he he just he he really <laughs> let it rip for like a good hour. And then here's some behind the scenes stuff. We oh so then it was just like. Um, we got to the end and it was the end and it was a great episode. And I think it, it is, uh, I think it'll be a really entertaining episode. But then, so we were like, thank you. And, and Matt and I both stopped recording and he was like, I didn't even tell you about the time I got abducted. What? And, and then, yes. And went on Mike, no joke for like 30 minutes. I will send you the screenshot that I took of, of, of our producer, my co-host, me, the Paramount plus publicist, all of us looking like, like we're watching uh, someone be extracted from a car by the jaws of life. Like it, it was, I don't, I, we could put the, that story up because we didn't say anything, but we didn't say much during the episode anyway, so you wouldn't know. Um, our producer did keep rolling. She could release that at some point, but I don't, I don't know that that is ever going to see the light of day. Was he abducted during the series? No, he was not abducted during the series. It was after, and he was led to believe. uh, I'm going to give you the the absolute cliff notes on this, the Cleveland notes actually. Um, The uh, he thought he was getting a radio job that was going to pay him eighty thousand dollars a year, and so he bought a suit, and it was in Cincinnati, and he flew to Cincinnati, and somebody picked him up in Cincinnati, but they had to climb under a chain link fence. Because he, the guy couldn't <laughs> afford to park in the in the airport parking, oh, wow. and uh, and then they got to the thing, and the thing ended up being like some kind of like low key conversion therapy situation. Holy shit! Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it. it I'm gonna have to listen to it again, but not for a while. <laughs> like we really we we hung up with him, and then we just all needed. My co-host and our producer and I just needed to be in each other's presence and breathe for a moment. <laughs> oh it was over. It, it's it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride. Is all. I'm wow. Tell you. Norman Corpy and a great uh, Instagram. Norman's got a really oh, yeah. really entertaining Instagram. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Did he anyway, talk and about the me at all? Sold out. Um, That's my real and, uh, question. No. Yeah, no. Come on. I'm so he, nice. He didn't. I think it's because yeah. he knows. That we have a relationship, and he wanted to tread cautiously. Yeah. yeah. Um, anywho, but yeah. So yeah, Norman. Um, okay, so we get in with the producers a bit um, uh, to Norman's l- labeling as bisexual, which he says in the Esquire piece and on Homophilia caused him a great deal of uh, rejection afterwards because sure. he was um, he you know was a a, a well known gay man. And like in you know in some good gay man circles, right? And and I don't I still am not one hundred percent clear whether he identif- like whether he chose to identify as bisexual or whether they asked him to or whether they just build him that way and we thought that he said it or what the deal is. It's it's I don't exactly know what the story is there. I thought the story was he was just being very cautious. That and, makes a lot of sense. And, yeah. 
and or he had not really figured it out for himself mm-hmm. really yeah or admitted it to himself yeah today you know we're comfy with people moving through numerous labels before they settle on something lasting and then moving on even after that if they feel like it but yeah at the time there were so few and and it's you know it's kevin i think points this out like there really was no he was kind of the first he was i mean i I can't i can't think of another there are people who came out during the runs of the shows and there were characters that came out but from the jump you know, to arrive fully not straight was <laughs> had not been done. Had not been it's done. true. It's true. Um, yeah. So anyway. Um, OK. So this... and in the midst of that conversation, my uh, just in, in more mockable moments, maybe yeah. maybe not mockable, seemed mockable. But uh, one of the producers claims that when they were auditioning in Prague, for London cast members, a 16-year-old gay dude came in to just to thank them mm-hmm. for the real world. Yeah. For what he had done for gay people around the world. Mm-hmm. And that does not, <laughs> you know, like, even if uh, the program meant a lot to you, I cannot imagine, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet the casting agents, I'm going to thank them. Thank you, casting agents. I'm a Czech high school student, and you've changed my life for the better. Well, I mean, that could be a Czech custom, you know, thanking the producers. (laughs) We don't know. I don't know. Or a Slovak custom, to be fair. Yes. Um, But, I mean, I will say, you know, if you're young and you're queer and it's the early 90s, there's nothing for you. There's, you know, Matt on Melrose Place, who's essentially an extra. And right. that's kind of it. And it's and when and when you don't have anything at all, um, you know, I don't it's weird to think about that as my upbringing because it's the only upbringing I've ever had. But right. it's to to put myself back in the in the position of being 16 myself and like knowing that I was queer and not having any characters fictional or real in the world to be like, oh, that's a life that I could lead that won't end in death or or right. humiliation or whatever. I mean, that that is again, like I don't I can't I can't separate myself from it because it is my only experience as being young. But um, it's looking back at it now. It's like that. That is deeply fucked up. That is deeply fucked up. And like being as keyed up and focused on representation as we are now is kind of a good thing. So it's not, it is not for me outside of the realm of possibility that somebody. I, I feel you, but I'm just wondering about thanking the casting agents. Right. Right. Like I better go thank those casting agents. Better go, better go to the audition and thank the people who I don't know. Yeah. 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 The the casting agent holds one thing to write fan mail to Norm, and it's completely another. Right. To thank someone holding a clipboard. Which, incidentally, another behind the scenes uh, moment uh, Norman is receiving fan mail at the bakery. Oh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. He's getting. Somebody sent him a zine. I heard that, and my heart just. Oh. So you could you zine. could probably just send him a postcard addressed to Norman Ironwood, Michigan. Yeah, probably. And it would get to him. Yeah. Gay Norm Upper Peninsula. Um, <laughs> Gay Norm UP. It'll get dropped there. Somebody um, better pick up at Gay Norm UP immediately. Better. Um oh also the A stands sold out. The A stands. Yeah, the adaptive laptop oh, stands. Oh, no. sold out. A stand. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sold I, out. The, the technical language. That's great. What about yeah. the bunnies? Sold out of bunnies. Um, I don't. I don't know how many bunnies did get sold, but I, I think all. I think all of the ones that he made on that day did get sold. What the proceeds were, I couldn't tell you. Um, but yeah, Norman. Um, Norman emerges a success story yes. from the real world. Oh, and no. thank God. And thank God. Um, this, Mike, to me, was the first episode that I was like, okay, we could we could cut this in half. 
Oh. I mean, I, it was the first one that I really felt like there was filler that I could have, that I would have lost. There was a lot of, the last 20 minutes were just insane self-aggrandizement that is not completely unwarranted, but a little goes a long way. Yes. Um, they they stoop to playing Don't You Forget About Me from The Breakfast yeah. Club, which I was yeah. just like, no, man. No. Um, don't yeah. do that. Yeah. Come Give on. me a Don't Dream It's Over. Yes, of course. Of course. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, they play Why Can't I Be You by The Cure uh, when they recount breaking into the control room, mm. which, which yes. we talked about endlessly on the first... Uh, so season. Yeah, so because they hadn't seen each other on camera. They hadn't seen themselves right. on camera. Right. It was still the right. age when like a video store would would put a video camera aimed at the street with a monitor next to it and people would just stop in front of this camera and like make faces at the camera and look at themselves in the monitor for God. hours at a time. Do you remember how exciting that was? Look, I'm on it TV. Was, I exist. It was really exciting. I'm yes. real. Oh God. Oh wow. man, that's a bygone. Um, yeah, I uh I I enjoyed, but also toward the end was like, okay, we could wrap we we could wrap this up any minute now and we'd be okay. I don't know. One was... of one of my favorite things was at the end, like the last thing we see is a snippet of Julie back in the day saying the way this should end is you should just cut the camera. And there should be a different cast there. Yeah. Just cut without explanation. So first of all, she um, predicted the Sopranos finale. Ooh. Yeah. For A. And B, that would have been a great way to end this. Just like. It really would have. Actual Soprano style, just cutting to black. Like when yeah. there's a knock on the door, you know, uh, and then everyone looks over that way and then cut to black. Yeah, Bonham and then it's Murray. like, and we never know whether Julie died. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I yeah, you know. Oh, oh, another tidbit from Norman is that apparently there was talk of season two just being the same cast. Oh, and like, and this project just always being them. Wow. But apparently, the uh, the decision was made to just reinvent it every year. I have to say, I cannot imagine them doing a homecoming with any other cast. I can't either. I can't yeah. either. So, um, it, it, but it made me wonder, um, from this episode, Norm has the season one, like, rap gift or whatever that was the denim jacket with the real world <laughs> logo on it and the palm tree. The palm tree, which yes. is the season two logo. So maybe they were going to take those seven people and move them to L.A. Oh. Is, my, is what I'm thinking, which would have been interesting. It would have been more interesting than what we got. Well, yeah, we'll say more about that at the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. a, um, a Becky? A Becky in L.A.? I can't see it. No. Well, we can't see Becky anywhere now. No. Um, oh, you know, speaking of her, um, which I don't want to do too much, um, <laughs> they uh, when the producers come in and we get a, a look at the, you know, behind the scenes and whatever and see some people that I knew or would go on to know, but then also one of the, one of the faces who they who they mention as being pivotal to the success of the first season is Bill Richmond, who is the guy who ended up getting fired for hooking up with Becky in Jamaica. Oh, that was that producer? guy. That's that guy. That was that guy. Oh man. Was he like gone from MTV forever or did they allow him on some other program? I don't know. I don't remember, but they mentioned him. So, I mean, it can't have been that bad. Well, well, I was really hoping that when they had that moment where there's a knock on the door and the door opened and, you know, the cliffhanger moment, I was really hoping it would be the guy who spoke about marble in Jamaica. Oh, in that God. Bar. Yes. So really hoping that the guy would just yes. walk up and be like, well, you know, they have pink marble and then you have different kinds of swirls and some, See the some way of it the comes light. from Indiana. It's yeah, it's oh. the way the light reacts to the marble. Yeah, oh, God, God. I, I don't. I think he's. I think he's been dead for twenty five years. Um, <laughs> I. Uh, yeah, I would have. I, I. There are so many people I would love to have seen the 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 guy from uh, Julie's date from Locks Around the Clock. Yeah. Oh God, um, Locks Around the Clock. Charles Perez. I mean, there there were a Charles lot of people. Perez. I would 
perhaps rather have seen, but it's okay. Um, So I I do uh, wonder how to how I might engage the services of a Eric Nice as a life coach. Because surely that is yes. in, that's in his portfolio for sure. That's yeah some of and what he does. He must be a very high end life coach. I bet he is. Yeah, I bet he is. Um, and certainly after this, his his hourly rate would be through the roof. Yes, but I mean, it's definitely a thing that can be done, and I just need to know how to do it. So I can do it. <laughs> that. Could be the final episode of this season is you and me smoking yeah. toad skins oh, with Eric Mees. Yeah. Yes. And just, you know, processing some trauma. <laughs> just getting through it. Yeah, I would watch if it, that. You, that would be uplifting. You, me, Norman, CC Peniston, mm-hmm. Eric Knees, smoking toad skins. Yep. That's yep. my pitch. Okay. Listen. And we could uh, we could Hollywood pitch ourselves. As the high council of Generation X. Okay. We okay. really could. MTV yeah. VJ, 90s one-hit wonder, other 90s one-hit wonder, and Norman. Fuck, yeah. Yeah, there you I'm go. I'm into that. I am into go. that. Um, oh, um, Eric reveals that uh, there is a creator, a source, and a master plan. <laughs> so he's yes. got... If he has not started his own religion, he's some of the way there. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I'm da- you know, you know, uh, at me, bro. I'm 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 ready to join. Great. How did you feel about uh, Heather's uh, storyline about her father being cut out of the final product? I th- I thought that was powerful, and um, Great. it. Uh, it 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 was um, unusually forthright for I mean for reality TV, um, yeah. you know. Uh, and to to recap, so her her father showed up for some of the taping, and they went out to Milady's in Soho, which I think is hilarious. Love that. Yeah. yeah. Um, no one's ever there on purpose. <laughs> It's just, it's the place that's there after you've been walking around and you're like, I need a drink and I'm going to sit there. I need a drink and and I feel like you can get some calamari. I feel like I've been there for like, for cast parties, for shows in that part of town. But it's never like, oh, we're going to Milady's for a cast party. It's like, I don't know what's around here. And then we all end up. Then you go there. It's never like, oh, we're going to crowd pleasing Milady's. I'm, for but, our anniversary, I'm taking you to your favorite restaurant, Milady's. <laughs> so, but uh, but um, she has this very moving connection with her father that she very much hoped would be shown on camera, mm-hmm. and uh, was not. And she makes this very impassioned plea that the next time there's a young black woman with a relationship with her father on a reality TV show show that story yeah and it really was like that yeah Yeah. and uh yeah it was uh considerably of to me of more depth than the you know the becky follies in terms of like you know uh, real talk discussion of race on television yeah um you know Uh, yeah Um, more things making look uh, becky look shitty that's just always more we're never we're never above that two things about that for me uh one she she did say like the next time there's going to be another young black girl with a relationship with her father who yes. comes on the real world who comes on the she says the real world especially tell her story and then i was like yeah and then i thought i don't know if this show's on anymore <laughs> um so well I if you thought. go if you go to paramount plus you got the first four seasons mm-hmm. and then it it the rest are missing up until vegas and then there's like a good 20 more like right. l- like there's it it kept going for a long for long yeah. after we stopped caring it was long, long after our children and our children's children stopped <laughs> it went on and on and we don't have children at all um uh, the second <laughs> thing is um i agree of course but um there is no way MTV is putting anyone, especially at that time, over the age of like 27, 
on right. the air. Period. End of story. Right. Ever, ever. They unless unless you're like the kooky, you know, mean old principal, uh, and you know the smoking in the boys' room video. You yeah. do not get to be old on MTV. When I was there uh, in 2001, they did a 20th anniversary special, and it was like it was it, the subtitle. It was MTV 20 from the from Buggles to Biscuit, right? <laughs> oh um, no! Oh yeah! No! Oh yeah! Oh yeah, 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 yeah. no! Yeah, and the whole oh. thing was like vintage artists and and who and the 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 core artists of of 2001 performing together. And uh, and I remember because the the first uh, the, the first duet or mashup or whatever was uh, was some forty one and Judas Priest, <laughs> and and I had to and I and I did that first introduction and it was like and all the VJs were there and I got to meet Martha Quinn and she said she voted right. for me and I was like Billy you're my favorite and whatever and um and then I like I had the first piece of business and I had to throw to the some forty one thing and I and I did it in a in a way that at the time I was like this is terribly awkward and it's happening live and um like I meant to say like some 41 start the show or whatever but it just came out some 41 and like and there was an awkward pause cuz I didn't know I was like what was I going to say next and and the person in the control room was like it sounds like he's going to keep saying things and I didn't and so there was like a strange pause and that was the first that was like the first performance and I, love and I felt like I spiraled out of control and uh, and the ratings were absolutely atrocious because mm. uh, MTV must be right that when young people see old people they're like I this is the part of the Grammys that I'm not interested in I'm turning it off so they one did. of the ratings were atrocious they never reran it it is buried forever one of the the things I used to love about MTV is um, I feel like I re- stop me if I've recounted this, but they used to show all like early MTV Christmas yes. um, bumpers on Christmas and like like yes. way like way into the two thousands. Just on Christmas, MTV would be like a history of Christmas uh-huh. on MTV, and the, you, you know would reliably see Billy Squire. Billy Squire, uh, um, uh, Brian Adams, and Pee-wee Herman singing "Having yeah, a Reggae, reggae Christmas. Christmas." Oh yeah, Downtown oh, Julie man. Brown saying "Wubba Wubba." Uh, whole nine, whole nine. Yeah, and, those were all uh, on YouTube. Incidentally, we yeah that was how we comforted ourselves this last lonely Christmas. And so I think in, it was 2004, and uh, I needed to top off my airline miles. Mm. Right, you know, I needed like another 700 miles to to. To keep my platinum status. Did you go to the North Pole? No. I went no. to Las Vegas on Christmas. It's a very cheap place to go. Like my parents were on vacation or something. So I was like, I'll just go, I'll just go to Vegas. It's very cheap. Just go. And I stayed at the Palms, which had credibility due to the real world connection. But Certainly. I was just like, I'll just, you know, get room service and watch old MTV. You know, right. my favorite things to do. And, uh, and it, you know, I turned it on and it was some kid in a cul-de-sac in Southern California waiting for an RV to show up and take him on a date. And it just uh-huh. crushed me. Yeah. And, I, and then I was just had to be like, oh, I'm in fucking Las Vegas. Yeah. It was yeah. very sad. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, I remember that that pivot into nothing but highly and badly scripted dating shows, all from the same right. producer who I knew and worked with and liked. Really? Yeah. Um, uh, but she, yeah, her thing was like, we're just going to do these very simple setups and uh, and we're not going to let the kids talk to each other like normal people. Uh, it'll be like, you say this and then you say this and then that's that. And that's the way, I mean, you look at like Next, they did like 600 episodes in a year. Yeah. And they're all the same. And it's somebody with baggy jeans getting off a van being like, hey, you better drop the zero and get with me. Who's the hero <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> and then it's it was all the same show. Room Raiders and parental Room control. Raider. And oh, my yeah. God. Jesus yeah. Christ. But you know what? Out there somewhere, there's someone who's nostalgic for that. So that's the way of the world. Of course. Yeah. I mean, if you if you have a podcast about that. We will straight up cross promote. We'll do yeah. like a crossover episode. 
We'll do a collab. We're, like a Room Raiders real world, you know, nexus. Yeah. A yeah. crossroads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, can I tell you something that really made me laugh in this episode? You sure um, can. Okay. The producers come in, right? They get the George and, and Jonathan Murray come in and they're, you know, and they talk about how important the show was and they gas the cast up and all that. And mm-hmm. everyone says goodbye and they get the big picture in front of the TV that Eric's on. And Eric's takeaway from the whole thing is it, uh, for me, the takeaway is you got to take care of your one beautiful body. <laughs> yes, that's in my notes as well. Yeah, that's in like, my notes as well. I mean, you're not wrong, but that doesn't have anything to do with what just happened. Nope. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna learn it, you might as well learn it from your reunion of your seminal reality show sure. as anywhere else. But yeah. nonetheless, yeah, not I, not my takeaway. I have to say the whole but, the yeah. whole producers thing was very strange to me. Um, they were so paternal, and uh, and the cuts back to Mary Ellis Bunham, who since passed away, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, talking about narrative structure, using those words with mm-hmm. the cast, and like explaining, like, well, you guys are gonna have conflicts, and that's why there's gonna be, you know, narrative structure, and you know, Julie says the words narrative structure, which yeah. more shocking to me than her saying fuck. Um, yeah. 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 Um, Although that's like, still shocking, a level of self awareness is uh, is is very trippy on this television program. Yeah, I, it was it was a uh, it was fourth wall breaking, uh, mentally and emotionally, right? Like yeah. it, it brought us in in a way that I was not ready to go. Right, and they have a, they had a shot of uh, of the of the cast standing around the loft, and someone holds a light meter up to Kevin's face. And for some uh-huh. reason, I found that very distressing. Yeah, I didn't love that. To think that they had to think about television. You know, it almost makes me think it's not real, Dave. What? No, no, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Fleeting thought. I won't, uh, I won't talk uh, about it again. I don't like it. So f- they did not show it, but it was a it was a it, the image that lives in my head and makes me happy. Kevin talks about how they went to the VMAs in 1993 together and everyone went quote unquote bananas mm-hmm. and i just think is there a more perfect place to be in the world than to be a real world cast member at the vmas at the vmas <gasps> can i tell you something oh yes i did not i did not okay i did not i didn't say anything i said earlier to bring it back full circle but I'm going to lay it on me. Um, so uh, boyfriend from college found out about you. Um, I like we broke up on good terms, but it, it devastated me emotionally for years and made me feel right. like a failure. And it was, you know, I was awash in Catholic gay guilt and it was awful. Um, and anyway, so I got the job at MTV in 98, went to my first VMA, September 1998. And, uh, and I leave and it's at universe. It's at the amphitheater and universal Studios. So the after party is at the mm. theme park. And so I go to the after party and it's whatever. And I'm so excited. Cause like I can go to city walk. Like that's how starry eyed <laughs> I still am. And then I, I go to leave the party to go to my hotel at uh, the universal grounds. And, um, and I pass through and like, and there are MTV fans there and I get, you know, some people ask for pictures and I sign some autographs and I hear Dave and I look up and it's my college boyfriend who had moved to LA. Uh, it was a PR guy and uh, was there with his current boyfriend. And the first time we had seen each other since college, I was signing autographs and it was like, okay, wow. this is, this makes me so happy. Yes. Being a mildly famous person, uh, is rarely gratifying, but I think yeah. every mildly famous person has a story like that. Yeah, um, that really, I mean, happened to me on a happened to me on a date once, like oh, on the yeah. subway when somebody was yes. like, "Oh, dude, oh man, it's you!" and good day. Outstanding. Date ended yeah, well. That's outstanding. Yes. Yeah, that's outstanding. Yeah, that's outstanding. Every every mildly famous person has a place where they're hugely famous. Yeah. <laughs> For you, and it was the beautiful. VMAs. The VMAs were a movable feast. Universal City Walk, right by the yeah. place where you can get glow in the dark socks, 
and then Bubba Gump <laughs> Shrimp Company. Uh, oh, wow. All right. Um, there is a birthday. Not only has Heather brought a bar in a in a suitcase, she has brought a birthday party in a steamer trunk. Yes, she has. Um, she's good at packing. There uh, you go. If there's any takeaway from this series, mm-hmm. she can surprise you, and she can pack for a weekend. Uh, Heather has brought uh, Julie's birthday party in a trunk, and also brings us some um, some evidence as to when this was taped. Because oh. I guess it was late. I guess it was late January. Right. Julie says well, her birthday is January twenty eighth. Well, yeah, of course. So yeah, so I, I wasn't sure. I didn't know if it was like last November, December, or very recently. Right, right, or what. Right. So it was actually more recently than we thought it was. Pretty damn recently, in fact. Yeah, kind of recently. And brought out is the palm tree real world logo jean jacket. Accompanied by flashback footage of Julie in a Canadian tuxedo, which is absolutely wonderful. I yeah. question myself for not having worn more Canadian tuxedos in the 1990s. It's never too late. Uh, my question for you is, what, would you wear that jacket? Yes. You definitely would. You yes, absolutely I would. would. Go yes, out to dinner on a chilly night. Yeah. Assuming it was a good fit. So, you know, it was, it was a well-fitting well, jacket, not truly-sized. Let's, let's explore that, then. <laughs> what, is, what constitutes a good fit? Of a of a wrap gift denim jacket, do you want it nice and and fitted? Are we talking like uh, you know? Um, I'm just talking not not like, like a Joan com- Jet kind of a look, or or you know, big off a shoulder, more a Paul Abdul oh, thing. Oh wow, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, um, yeah. I I was just thinking like if it were Julie sized, it would be really tiny, and our elbows would be at the end yeah. of the sleeves, and it would be. You know, like really, yeah. really, you know, Chris Farley looking kind of a vibe. Yeah, although and, it is uh, enormous on her, so it might be our size. Right, maybe so, maybe so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I, I was sitting there, I was like, man, I'd kill for that jacket. And then I thought, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mm-hmm. wear that jacket. I, I wouldn't want to be the guy who does, does a, uh, a, a, a podcast about the real world walking around in a genuine vintage real world season two commemorative yeah. jacket. Yeah. I, My, I, yeah, I would, I would wear it. Um, I'd wear it to a picnic in the park on a chilly day. Right. Well, you uh, entertain, you and Ben entertain. entertain. So entertain. that's a perfect, perfect uh, uh, occasion to wear a real world commemorative jacket. Here's where I'd wear it. I would wear it um, after the sun goes down and the temperature drops 20 degrees in L.A. And you've got people in the backyard and I'm maybe about to fire up the grill. But it's like everyone needs a little wrap because it's getting kind of chilly. We're about to, right. The fire pit hasn't been sparked up yet, but it's about to. In that moment, that would be the, the critical moment. Out to dinner? No. Right. No, I yeah, couldn't go out. No. I couldn't. I couldn't go out. Or if a friend of yours at said party were like, oh, I'm a little chilly. You would be like, I have the perfect rap for you, and you would give them that, and that would be an amazing, amazing moment. Oh yeah, they'd be delighted. They'd be absolutely delighted. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a nice jacket. It's a nice jacket. I'll just leave it there. I have so many rap T-shirts from MTV. <laughs> Do uh, you? And and jackets and uh, hoodies, and I can't get rid of them, but I'm never gonna wear them. You know, I'm not. It's been a long time, but I'm still not going to walk around with a T-shirt with an MTV logo on it. That's that when you're 75 years old, man. That's gonna that is gonna finance your retirement. It could yeah. if it doesn't become a T-shirt quilt before then. Oh wow! What's the best one you have? You think? Ooh, um, God. Uh, there's a great, uh, there's a very like an actual a good jacket, like a good like Columbia jacket uh, for snowed in or, or winter lodge in like '99 or 2000. Oh, God. Um, that's oh, a good my. one. But I have no reason to wear it because I live in LA and I haven't skied in 100 years. Um, but yeah, I've got like there's an Ice Spy video T-shirt. There's a um, Isle of MTV uh, long sleeve wow. T-shirt. There's um, you got a beach house? You got some beach house shit? I certainly got some beach house shit. 
Um, One of my yeah, favorite I mean, things you ever wrote was uh, when you started writing about uh, about your time uh, for Esquire. You wrote that when you first uh, went out to uh, the beach house, you thought there might be a chore wheel. Yeah, I thought we'd live there. <laughs> I did think we'd live there. Yeah, I was not. I was not smart at all. Uh, that yeah, that's that is, real. I mean that 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 is the kind that is the sort of person I want to be. Is mm. the person who believes believes that the beach house is real. Yeah, I had just never questioned it. You know? <laughs> It wasn't a strongly held belief. Like if somebody had asked me, do you think they live there? I would be like, and I had to think about it for a second. I would probably be like, oh yeah, I guess they don't. But I just never thought about it that deeply until I showed up and it was like, oh, there's a hotel that is off the premises and that is where we will stay because that is what adults do. Oh, but you stayed um, by the, you stayed at least on the beach or in the vicinity yeah, of the beach. We were five minutes away, yeah. We it wasn't like a car away. service to Jersey every day. No, you could do that. I guess probably some people did do that. But yeah. I didn't want to miss a moment. So I was that's what Kennedy did. there as much as I I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. No. It's possible. It's possible. Um I found Michael myself getting um extremely emotional about the gang leaving the loft, even though I know that they're all in a group text. You know? Like I'm aware that they will continue to communicate a lot and yet I was still like, oh. I someone did say something along the lines of this is the last time we'll ever be together. And that might be true. That um, might be and true. that that was kind of shockingly emotional for yeah. me. Like, yeah. you know, like, no God, please don't let it be. The the first cast of the real world needs to get together sometime between now and eternity. Yeah. Yeah. It could happen. You but you just never know. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Ever, no, never, certainly never. once you fucking hit 50. Someone um, in the end says, well, uh, they say, well, they say, um, let somebody else create a new genre. That was Becky. Which is of course, like, that was that Becky. Bloom, was it Becky that said that? Of course it was Becky. Oh, my God. Because, well, you know, and that's prescient. We don't know what's around the bend. Yeah. We did we did not see when this show came on MTV that it would take over the culture. Right. Right. Like there there is something um you know and uh you know thank god it wasn't that claymation wrestling show. Uh, oh, although that did oh. just recently come Celebrity Deathmatch. Did it? Yeah. Oh, I fucking hate I think that show. So. Yeah, I, did. Oh, I was never I mean, into it. it. I I mean that was the story of my life is turning on MTV hoping for the real world and it being fucking celebrity deathmatch. Fuck death you, match. Celebrity Deathmatch. Get the fuck out of my God face with your low-hanging fruit ass. Break out. Break out. Yeah, I um, I found that one, that hit me wrong when she was like, yeah, go create a new genre. Because that, that to me is the ultimate Becky statement. That is the ultimate, like, I'm going to say this to sound smart, but really I haven't given it any thought at all. I just don't want to look bad on this show and I'm ready for it to wrap up. So right. instead of making me look bad, why don't you literally create an entirely new genre of entertainment? Wow. Just because cause I'm, I'm looking like a garbage person right now and I don't want to anymore. Whereas I, I was envisioning like moments before Cool Herc spun for the first time in the South Bronx. The Please invention of hip hop. Oh, oh, it, it was the uh, uh, he's the he's the DJ that really invented hip hop uh -huh. uh -huh. at a party in 1975 in a basement in the Bronx. He right. did, did the thing where he cut between the different drum breaks and you know the Jamaican uh -huh. chatting, which became rapping. Yeah. So you know, I I just immediately went to this wonderful place of you know something incredible and new being being birthed by the culture and. I'm ready. You know. I'm ready for a new thing. It just seemed like such a dismissive statement from her. Right. Well, anything from Becky is going to be shitty at the end of the day. It's going to be a little bit shitty. Yeah. yeah. So well, staying in touch, which they all in the in the uh, flashback footage say they're going to do before they leave the loft was very different in 1992. Absolutely. There Absolutely. were letters. You couldn't yeah. always afford a long-distance telephone call. No. And Sundays, if you had like nights and weekends, the this, this, the um, the uh, the phone number for uh, you know Julie's parents, you know, a year later she's not there anymore, and 
you know, like things shifted. They were, it was it was not the same world of like I have the same uh, phone number that I've had for twenty years. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but yeah, one could conceivably be lost forever. In yeah, those days. And then you just well, but you just meet them up, meet with them uh, uh, at the VMAs again. Sure. Guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, for, for the big for the special occasions. But uh, but yeah, now obviously they're all reachable in eighteen million different ways, and I'm not worried about them staying in touch. But I still it still hit me as as Jim Kerr saying la 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 la. Like, <laughs> oh, this and they bring they bring up the it. big chill in the beginning of the episode, yeah. which you pointed out in a in a moment that broke my heart uh was people that were a lot younger than the people on the real world homecoming a lot, a lot. yeah yeah a lot. though we they may like have seemed quite old to us as little teenagers you know i keep my um my yearbook from seventh grade i went to a seventh to twelfth grade school mm. and just, just i have it because it's whatever i I have it, and and I pull it out every now and then, and the senior portraits of these eighteen-year-olds in nineteen eighty-four. Oh yeah. Like I open it and I'm like, they all still look older than me. Yes. Oh, that's true. Yes. How does that happen? It's the weirdest thing. I don't know. Yeah. But I'd swear they're all older than me, and I'm fifty. Yeah. They're not. They're eighteen. <laughs> but but they still look so much older than me. I know, man. The tricks of the mind. Mm. The tricks well, of the mind that we learn about by rewatching mm-hmm. our favorite reality television programs. Yeah. We've barely discussed Andre. Um, there are a couple moments in this final episode. One in which uh, he does not understand how to use an iPhone. Which is great. Which is which amazing. Is a lot of fun. His second befuddled tech dad moment of, uh, yep. of the season so far. And then, uh, and then at the end, at Julie's birthday party, he plays a song, and Julie's like, "Great song," <laughs> and you, you felt that, right? You felt the the hints of condescension, right? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I kind of, I, I had you know, some jokes about that song, but I didn't, didn't want to get into that. It wasn't a bad song, per se. I mean, okay, it, whatever we could. Okay. You have the floor, Mike. Dunn. No, I don't, I don't want to say because I love Andre so much. Yeah. He's not listening to the show. I don't I doubt think it. it was a very good song. I, okay. I just don't. It was a, uh, I, I didn't write down the lyrics, but it was a, it was a tad cliched. Okay. A tad cliched. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't register for me at all. But, uh, but I but love Andre moment, so much. I do, too. I do, too. I think he's, I think he's great. I think he's courageous. I don't care what you think. And, uh. <laughs> Uh, but that moment of of Julie saying like, "Great," I really it's <laughs> there is a moment like the first time someone younger than you is condescending to you that right. that stays with you that stays with you right I, f- I felt that um, well Mike, here we are David here we are at the end of a mini season yeah uh, and, and gosh. This has we, been so stand, much fun. I, I wonder yeah. if there's some way we can continue to do this. I want, I've been wondering that myself, Mike. Uh, Wait a minute. We're standing at a, at a, at a cultural crossroads. And I have a forward. I have a crazy idea. Please. So the next three seasons of yes. the real world that would be two are on Paramount+. Plus. Yes. You've got the L.A., mm-hmm. you've got the San Francisco, you've got the London. Here's what I propose. For the next three weeks on each episode, we tackle the first episode of each season. And then our listeners can vote on which season we proceed with. Yeah. Our future is in your hands. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, much like 1-800-DIAL-MTV in the past. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a great callback. That's a great. We put callback. ourselves in your hands. Listen, we're Adam Curry, begging you to call and vote. Uh, in this case, email, um, which Adam Curry I think invented. Uh, he, uh, that's so, yeah, right. True. T r u u s t o w r a y at gmail dot com. Yes, which I um, I registered today, and I can't believe because pretty much every other 
email I've ever tried to register has been taken. Uh-huh. I'm just shocked. And, and like the weirdest things that I think up as email addresses, they've all been taken. So I'm so pleased that this podcast doesn't matter enough to somebody that they stole the Gmail address. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Um, yeah, truestoray at gmail.com. That it'll be, I mean, it, the email account will be open indefinitely, but voting will be open for the next, let's say, three weeks. Yeah, something like that. Uh, four weeks, because we got to get to all of them. Um, and don't don't next... like, don't vote for, um, you know, like just decide you're going to vote for San Francisco now. Yeah. Like wait, because no. look, we have admitted we have a bit of a prejudice against the LA season. Don't love it. But if that's what the people want, we are going to bring the best of ourselves to yeah. recapping and examining the LA season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, I can see the cultural value of it. Um, not of the season. This season is garbage. But of our <laughs> take on that season, I think we'll have great cultural value. Um, so, yeah, maybe. Who knows? Maybe it'll be great. San Francisco, obviously significant for a number of reasons. Yes. And uh, uh, London, there's a race car driver. So <laughs> I love London. I love London. Oh, I remember liking it OK. Um, oh, boy. But it didn't. It did not. It did not linger in my in my consciousness. So next week, we will recap episode one of the Real World Two, L.A., from which our podcast gets its title. That's True right. True, Stowray. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go on back. We're gonna we'll, we'll see David. We'll see Tammy. We'll see we'll see Beth. We'll see Beth! the sheriff lady. Um, we'll see the sheriff lady. <laughs> uh, who the fuck else will we? See? Oh, uh, Dominic, uh, Dominic, and the Aaron. guy from Perch that comes in. Yeah, Perch. Yeah. Oh, Perch, the band Perch. Yes, which is the nineties of possible band names. Oh, is that a Glenn? It was Glenn, wasn't it? I'm gonna say it's Glenn. Now, was Glenn there from the start? No, Glenn replaced, Glenn replaced David, who was kicked out for the yeah. incident with Tammy. Right, and was I was uh, Jonah's policewoman Irene there? From the I start? think that might have been Irene. I think that might okay. have been Irene. Yeah. Okay. She See, was we're already we're getting we're getting into maybe mm-hmm. maybe if the people want L.A. that will be much more entertaining than we uh, than we had previously uh, considered, yeah. and maybe we will warm to it. Who knows. Um, but yeah, so that next week, tune in for episode one of The Real World, Los Angeles. Yes, indeed. Mm. All right, Dave Holmes. Well, this has been a journey. Um, Mike, I found out about you. Um, <laughs> and I look forward to finding out more about you next week. And we're going to be smoking some toad skins and yep. just talking about the Upper Peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until next week, all glocks down. All glocks down. <laughs>